So Money episode 389, Navid Moazes. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500, and that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit wealthfront.com forward slash so money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. March 31st, Today's guest is Navid Moazes. He is a lifestyle entrepreneur. What does that mean exactly? I'm very curious because I've now met several very successful people who carry that title, and I'm intrigued. And so we'll talk about that with Navid. But he also wears many other hats. He's a blogger, he's a podcaster, online marketer, and personal branding strategist. And his name has come up a lot within my inner circle of close friends. He's very impressive. He's made quite the name for himself in this industry in a very short period of time. He's basically become a leading authority on helping entrepreneurs create, promote, and profit from virtual summits to increase their brand presence and business. It's a very niche segment of the market that he's in, but he has really honed it and has become the go-to person for learning about virtual summits. He's experienced firsthand how an epic virtual summit can lead to your business success after he held his own called the Branding Summit. And after that, Navid was able to quit his job and live abroad while making even more of an impact in other people's lives all around the world. He's actually abroad on this call coming up. We're going to find out where he's calling in from. He's been featured in Business Insider, Entrepreneur, The Huffington Post, and many more places. And with Naveed, we talk about the inner workings of a virtual summit. How can this propel your online business? Naveed grew up in Sweden and he had an Iranian father. What did those cultural influences teach him about money? And something he rarely shares and opens up about with others, Naveed opens up about a family tragedy and the impact that it had on his personal and professional pursuits. Here is Naveed Moazes. Naveed Moazes, welcome to So Money. You know you're pretty famous on the internet, right? You're like my internet celebrity of the week. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure being on. Where are you calling in from? I know that you're a big tra- a big traveler now. That's something that your life, your lifestyles afforded you. Where are you calling in from? Yeah, right now I'm in actually in Barcelona. I just got settled here. I got this apartment, you know, right in the city, and I really like it here. I'm gonna go to El Clasico in a few weeks here, so really exciting. 
So tell us, uh, let's go all the way back to maybe 2015. And I mean, people, Naveed is new to internet celebrityhood. I mean, really, you changed careers. You had this goal in mind that you wanted to become a lifestyle entrepreneur, become more dependent on the internet for revenue so that you could travel and have this, you know, this, this lifestyle that you really want. And you're calling in from Barcelona. It started with, was, did it, am I correct to say that it started with your virtual summit? Would you say that's where it all kind of began? Yes. It, I mean, we can, we can, we can take it back even, even way back when I started my blog, but it was not really taken off there. So I did the podcast thing and all this, but there was with a virtual summit I did in late 2014 when I had like 88 speakers on there. You know, Selena Sue, which we talked about in the pre chat, she was one of the speakers. I had a lot of speakers on there and it kind of took off. I grew my email list, uh, you know, very rapidly with around 3,000 people. And then first, for the first time ever, I had this kind of financial win where I actually got some profit in my business and made $20,000. And that afforded me to quit my job and then also move abroad, leave Sweden behind where I was living you know, most of my life and then just move abroad and live in Cancun for most of 2015. And now, yeah, I lived there for (laughs) like almost a year. So I met my girlfriend there as well, actually. Oh my gosh. Well, we're going to talk more about the virtual summit in Cancun, which apparently (laughs) I guess there's more to do there than just spend spring break. You could actually live there. That's pretty interesting. it was, um, was kind of a, it was an experience for sure. <laughs> so let's go even further back. Like, why did you want to make this transition? What were you doing prior to the blog, prior to really seeing the internet as a, a way, a means to a better end for yourself? What were you doing? Yeah. So right after graduating from high school, I didn't really know what to do. So I, you know, got into law school, one of the best law schools in Sweden and Stockholm. So I moved there and also kind of because my, my dad is a doctor, my mom is a teacher. So it was not, no, no choice really. I had to, you know, choose the academic route. So that's what I did and went there. It was good for the first like three years or so. Then I just started to become a little bit depressed, you know, studying these, all the law books and all these things I had going on. So I decided to, this was not for me, but I didn't really know what to pursue instead. So I went into a lot of personal development, read a lot of books in that topic way, you know, found out about the four hour work week and a lot of other people, you know, doing these interesting things, traveling and so on. And that's kind of how I finally got into it. But that took me maybe three years till I finally kind of started my blog in, in 2013. You know, that was kind of, it was kind of a long journey to even get to that point. What did your parents think? I mean, they, gosh, you got into the best law school in, in your country. And then you're like, I'm just, I'm going to start a blog, mom and dad, (laughs) you know, and and I'm sure for you personally, it was a big transition. How did you kind of, you know, get your head, get in the headspace for that? Yeah. My mom, she's always supportive. You know, she's like, yeah, as long as you can support yourself, you know, you can do whatever you want. And my dad, it was not the same way. You know, he's like Iranian dad. If you ever, if you ever know, he's wait Iranian. (laughs) yeah, Iranian. Oh, I'm yeah, Iranian my, too. Yeah. So my dad, he can be, he was pretty strict on that point. Like you should finish law school. You should finish what you start. And to some extent I can agree with him. I didn't have anything. I didn't, I didn't have any money really to support myself. And I didn't drop out right away, but it was kind of, I was not really going to class or not really focusing maybe in 2012, 2013, when I kind of got this idea. And then I started this blog and I finally kind of dropped out in end of 2013. And I'm like, now, now it's enough. I have this part-time job at a bank, not making that much money. And the kind of, you know, I knew deep inside that this 
would work out somehow eventually. I just have to keep going. I can't quit on this. Then I would look like a failure to everyone. So my dad, of course, he didn't understand what I was doing. I was interviewing people. Like, how can you possibly <laughs> make money doing that? That was kind of his initial thought. And then I, you know, started making more money after my virtual summit in 2014. So he didn't understand at first, but then, you know, I had more success. And eventually he, you know, he actually came to Cancun to visit me for Christmas last year, <laughs> which is interesting. So he kind of saw, how could you, how can you do this? He still doesn't really get it. Yeah. I mean, that I understand, but he's, he sees that I have money in my, in the bank and that kind of matters to him. He sees that I, you know, I'm paying good money for my apartment here and all this, you know, he sees kind of I, that I can, you know, support myself now. And I think that's important. So let me see if I can understand your business model. And then of course, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, cause I, I think there are a lot of, not a lot, but there are notable people out there that have been on this show too, like Ramit, Sati and Lewis Howes. And, um, these are all very much, you know, internet, entrepreneur, I guess, internet entrepreneurs, right? They make, they're basically the, their entire business is virtual. Um, and they all have different ways of monetizing. Your strategy was, let me do this virtual summit, right? Which is basically inviting all of these really smart, interesting people to um, the summit, which is basically like, imagine you're going to Davos, but this is virtual and they're all coming and you're interviewing them and you're providing perhaps all these interviews um, for free in exchange for signing up for the email list. Yeah, exactly. That's how you, you know, you promote your event, you leverage the speakers and maybe some other partners, affiliates, you know, to get the word out there about your event. And then what, what I did was that I actually packaged it together. So when someone signed up, then I also offered kind of an all access pass where they can get the recordings and some bonuses. So that's how I monetized the event for the most part and some, you know, commission here and there. But for the most part, it was the revenue from selling the interviews. I was like, you know, can you really, because I saw some other summits before I did mine, I didn't have any experience. I saw kind of in the health industry, they were doing this a lot and they had it for free. You can sign up for free. You can attend the sessions maybe for 24 to 48 hours. That's kind of the availability. And then, you know, you have to pay for, for them to get access. And I just, pretty much modeled this concept and brought it to, you know, the online marketing world, you know, with, you know, what I did with the branding summit first, then I've helped clients and my students in my program do the same thing because I got a lot of people asking me, you know, this specific question, how did you do this? How right. did you get 88 speakers? How did you set up the tech? How do you do that? I first thought that I would like, Oh, I could be this like general personal branding guy, whatever. But as I know now, looking back, that was the best thing that could happen that people actually started asking me questions about summits because mm -hmm. now all of a sudden I'm very niche and specific. And if someone wants to know about summits, they usually come to me. You can just Google virtual summit and you will see my, an article about an entrepreneur about me. So it's just that it brought, you know, it was easier for me to build authority very quickly and also obviously getting results from my students. Right. So they say you can make money from uh, making money doing what you do and then make money from what you know. And yeah, it sounds exactly. like you're, you, you know, you did the summit, but now you know the ins and outs of that summit and people are coming to you for that. Just like John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire. He's mm -hmm. successful podcaster, but he's also, uh, he knows how to start a podcast. People come to him for that. The show is about entrepreneurship. So he's able to really monetize in different ways. And so then you did the summit which not only brought in some revenue, 
but you also built your list, which puts you in a whole new game and category, right? Now you can actually become an affiliate marketer. You can create other products for this list. So tell us a little bit about the, the next step from the virtual summit. Where did you go from there? Yeah, besides actually needing needing a little bit of a break after I had been working so hard, I moved to Cabo San Lucas in Mexico. So I was kind of spending some time there. But at the same time, you know, I had this great asset, as you mentioned, with the email list. So I became also earlier in, in 2014, I believe I became an affiliate for Ramit Sethi's product. I bought, you know, some of his courses myself. So in particular, in this case, it was here to launch. I promoted this to my email list. And there in January of, of 2015, last year, I became his number one affiliate and also built a really great relationship with him, meeting him in a few, a few times because of it. And, you know, bringing in close to $40,000 in revenue in, in January alone, because I promoted him, I had some sales for my program and so on, kind of pilot, a pilot program I created. So it's kind of like, you know, all of a sudden, I'm making money from just and I've, in October of 2014, before my summit, I was, you know, really kind of struggling a little bit. And now I'm all of a sudden making it happen. And it was really well needed to get there. And, uh, you know, all in all, an affiliate income was kind of a nice add on to what I was mm-hmm. doing with the virtual summit program. It brought in over six figures last year and then six figures from my own uh, own programs. Who were your role models? You mentioned earlier that you had looked at some of the health, the summits that were being done in the health space that you read for our work week. So what, who were or what were the resources and who were the resources that you were modeling your business after for those of yeah. us who want to maybe follow in your footsteps? Definitely. I mean, I looked at Sean Croxton a lot. He was doing these health summits. I was really impressed. He's, made, he's been making a lot of money from when he, I, I'm not sure if he's doing them still, but he did them in different market, different niche summits in the health industry. And he, he grew his list massively, but also generated six to seven figures per summit. So I was like, wow, this is a model. I definitely have to see how I can make it work for me because a lot of people, they already said I was really good with interviewing of, you know, I had my podcast. So I kind of got some feedback there that, you know, some people, they would even be willing to pay for something like this. So I kind of got this aha moment that, yeah, I can maybe monetize it because I was struggling a little bit to grow my list with the podcast. I was not gener- generating a lot of cash flow in my business. I really needed to make this change and it worked out for the better. Undergroundwellness.com, right? That's uh Right. Yeah, that's correct. I think he, he kind of transitioned away from that, but that was kind of a, one of the resources I signed up uh, to a few of his summits. Sean Croxton, C-R-O-X-T-O-N. Okay, Navid, so now you're rich. <laughs> you're a rich man. Um, you weren't before. And so let's talk about money. Let's talk about maybe uh, your financial philosophy now that you have become this independent uh, businessman, entrepreneur, living, you know, basically wherever you want, because that's what you're, uh, what you can afford. Tell us a little about how you see the world. What's your financial lens that you, through which you see the world? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we get into this, but I have made many bad choices along my journey, especially in the early days when I was younger. But I think it's, I think it's really important not to live above your means. Like I could splash a lot of the money I'm making now. Like, oh, all of a sudden I have like over six figures in my bank account. I never had even close to that before. I could be spending that on, you know, really expensive restaurants or trips here and there. I mean, I still travel. I still live nice, but 
I, I still need money to invest in my business. I mean, for example, if you go to any nightclub in Miami, you'll see a lot of these, what do you call them? Like 30 K millionaires, you know, at least for a night, they look like one, <laughs> but in reality, they're just making 20 to 30 K a year Yikes. living in their parents' basement. And I never wanted to be someone like that, you know, and, and I kind of, you know, early, I, I never did that, but at the same time, I, I was kind of a little bit depending to my dad when I was studying in law school and all this. I all from from this point on when I left Sweden behind, I never wanted to ask, let's say, my dad or my mom for money ever again. If it was something, I would actually provide for them in the future if I become, you know, really rich or something like that. Um, what did your parents teach you about money growing up? I have to ask this because I'm so curious. Growing up partially Iranian, you're 50 percent Iranian, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, my mom and dad, they always were pretty good with not like spending on things just to spend for the most part. My dad is still, you know, he definitely spends on food. That's one thing that was always important. Like you should spend on food, like and not just eat out. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actually buying great food at the supermarket, like go to the best place. He could go to maybe 10 supermarkets just to find like the best meat for the kebab he was making or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, I mean, it, it definitely taught me about, you know, where to find great resources because that's really important when you're like putting, you know, great food in your body, when you're building a business, when you're doing anything, when you're working out. So that I learned a lot from that sense, but he's not really the most maybe business minded. He's, mm-hmm. he's a doctor, but still he has his own practice, but not in the sense that he inspired me to start my business. You need to get him uh, on the internet and, you know, starting a, an e- email list of his own so he can have that a retirement cool, plan. Though. He could get a lot of like insurance patients. They pay a lot of money instead of just getting this, you know, kind of cheaper patients you could get from, you know, how it works in Sweden. It's kind of, they don't pay a lot of money. Either. Right, right. So was there a money memory that you had growing up as a kid that was very transformative for you? Maybe it was when your dad took you food shopping or there was another experience that you had, just like a really crystal clear memory of money as a kid growing up. Yeah, I think... <clears throat> that's, that's a good question. I think it was also when I, I was younger there and, uh, I spent money on a lot of things I didn't need. And, and especially like earlier, like in my twenties, maybe it was 20 years old or so. I, I was in law school and, you know, not, didn't really enjoy it, but I still, I still went to buy clothes, sneakers and all these things I didn't need. So I kind of learned the hard way. Like I probably, know, in proportion to what I'm making now, I probably spend more, <laughs> spend more money back then, you know, on things like that. And now I'm just, you know, it was hard even to, to let go of these things. I, when I left Sweden, now I'm just, oh, there was not a big deal at all. And I think I learned, you know, to really, you know, keep my money and invest as smarter because I had these experiences. Sweden is one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Did you feel that? Did you feel that growing up in Sweden? I mean, did you have a frame of reference? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you can see if you just go, I mean, I, I, I grew up in like a town two hours south of Stockholm, but I also lived in the capital for, for like seven, eight, maybe eight years, something like that, nine years almost. And uh, it's, it's, 
very clean. They like, it's, it's also really expensive for people who have been there. So can you imagine when I was building my business, had this part-time job, it was really hard for me even to just get by. I mean, I got some support here and there with, you know, as I mentioned, food, my dad is really important for him, but uh, I still had to manage like paying the rent, paying all these things. So it's kind of hard for me to even invest in my business. You know, when I, when I was in Sweden, I'm, I'm just glad I, could make could make it happen because I had an apartment there and it was not too expensive compared to what you would expect to pay in Stockholm. So yeah. So you mentioned earlier that you did experience some some pitfalls, some failure. What was the greatest financial failure you experienced, and what did you learn from that? Yeah. So when I started my business, I mean, it was not really business at the time in 2013 it was just this blog, you know, it was like kind of documenting my entrep- entrepreneurial journey and I was not generating money, maybe here and there, some affiliate income came in, you know, from <laughs> someone bought hosting of my website, but uh, you couldn't live off that. But to make this kind of long story short, I had been taking on a lot of like credit card debt and a lot of other things and expenses I had, like my student loan. And especially, as I said, I lived in Stockholm and it's very, very expensive. I had a hard time paying all the bills on a month to month basis. And the turning point, as we talked a little bit about, came towards the end of 2014, you know, in October, right before I did that, you know, I had, I mean, I had a, some, from time to time, it came in a client, you know, paid me 500 to $1,000, but it was not anything magical that would just, you know, let me live the life I always dreamed of. But then I did this summit, grew my list and generated this kind of $20,000 in profit. And that was all I really needed. I didn't have any savings. Like some people, they have listened to your show before. They had savings and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I didn't have that. When I kind of quit, I had this like small buffer, which allowed me to move abroad. And that I kind of was a little bit afraid there actually. because I, I I paid for this trip to Cabo. I paid my flights and all this. And then I had like maybe 10 to 15,000 left. And, and when, you know, looking back to the experience, I really had to make more money. Otherwise I would, you know, probably ha- have to go back to Sweden. So I turned this kind of 15,000 to multi six figure business. So that's, okay. I'm, I'm pretty proud of this too. And like turning this fa- failure into something better. Totally. Would you going back? Was there, were there, is there anything you would do differently? Like, would you make sure that you had some savings mm-hmm. or you are, you think that not having the savings was actually good for you and that, you know, it kind of gave you this, I, uh, the sense of like, I can't fail. I like, can't, I just can't fail because I'd have nothing to fall back on. Well, I mean, I haven't shared this so far. I mean, I, I talked about it and some other shows and so on, but it's really the big point in my life was when I, my younger brother, he passed away in 2013. So I really, it was really no looking back for me ever. I mean, he, he passed away a few months before I even started my blog and all this in April, 2013. So it's almost been at the time of recording almost three years. So I'm really seeing this a little bit as a superpower. I turned this horrible adversity into something better and then eventually into success. But it was like 18 months or two years in the making before I started to make things happen. So I think it was a transition period. I, I mean, I didn't have the money that, I mean, of course it would have been easier if I had the savings, but I, I didn't. So I had to make it work with what I had and then just trusting my guts pretty much. I, I knew somehow it would work out for the better. And I'm just glad I took this risk at the end. And now I can live the lifestyle I have always dreamed of. How did you get out of that sense of, you know, 
because some people would be, would feel very stuck. You know, losing a loved one is is mm-hmm. an emotional pain that you know it's 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 unfathomable. And for to hear that you were able to kind of um, be motivated to achieve greatness and to really pursue life, to be really be motivated by pursuing life in in from that experience. Like, what did you have to tell yourself? How did you condition yourself to be able to really focus on your wellness and your well-being? Yeah. So, I mean, it was definitely a hard experience, even harder for, you know, my whole family. But for me, I think what really got me going was that I had been, had, I, I started this process even before, like in 2012, even before that with personal development. So I was already deep into this and I have, I have been talking so much about starting this brand and doing different things online, but I had been procrastinating for a long time. And then this horrible event happened with my brother when he passed away that I just had to say to myself, I will make this work. And also for myself, for my brother and my whole family, I will show them that it's possible. You know, if you just believe so much in yourself and your ability, I mean, I didn't have the skills when I started, I just decided to figure it out. And I think that's also what you see of a lot of these online entrepreneurs. You don't necessarily need all these kind of fancy skill. I mean, I mean, that helps if you, if you are an engineer and going to start a software company, obviously helps. But if you don't, you can use what you have. And I built relationships with a lot of people and that's what leverage I leveraged to build my business too, you know, with my summit and what I'm doing now with all these partnerships. It's incredible. I'm sure your family is so proud. And so you, you're such an inspiration to a lot of people who are close to you, as well as of course, all of us who follow you from afar. Yeah, thanks for that. How do you build relationships? You know, going back to your first virtual summit, you didn't really know anybody, but you had some really big names on that virtual summit. People like Pat Flynn and um, John Lee Dumas, they're busy guys, you know, they're they're busy running their own businesses. How did you make the virtual summit compelling for these people to participate? How did you make the connection and how did you ultimately convince them to participate? Yeah, so... I mean, Pat Flynn was actually my first interview ever I did. That was for my blog. So it was not really on the summit, but he was still like the first I interviewed. So I got into this because of Pat Flynn, Flynn a little bit. And I always was very authentic with how I was building these relationships. I, I, you know, actually wanted them on. I, I went to the blogs to comment. I shared how I maybe got some success with their material. Just sent them a message. I didn't even expect anything in return sometimes. So I think a lot of people, when they're reaching out to someone, they just want something. If you're instead reaching out with the expectation to give, that's how you will see success as well. Because then when you have something coming up, maybe there's like a podcast interview you want to feature them on or a summit, you reach out and then you're not a stranger to them and you can just, you know, invite them on. I think that worked extremely well for me. And also, you know, obviously if you can make the compliment, if you make a compliment, just reaching out to them and make it specific, let's say someone want, want to reach out to you and, uh, they've listened to your show, whatever, then they make a specific compliment, not just a generic one they could send to anyone, then it's much more compelling for them to even help you out in the future. Even though in this email, you don't have to ask for anything and also build the relationships where they are hanging out online, whether that's 
could be Facebook, could be Twitter, could be to attend their periscopes. And also something else I did was to sign up to their email list and from time to time, you know, engage with them there because that's their communication. That's their kind of fans, their tribe. So I did a lot of that, you know, in the beginning and then leading up to the summit. So smart. And as they say, you want to be a go giver, not a go getter. I think that was um, Zig Ziglar. Also, probably 10 other people who've said that. Yeah, but Bob I think, Berg got a book, I think, called Go Giver. Yeah, I and I even like Gary Vaynerchuk is all about, you know, his whole book, you know, um, Jab, 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 Right Hook is uh, on this. One of the premises is that you want to just make sure that you're giving as much before you ask for anything, you know, because by the, you want to basically hold your breath <laughs> for as long as yeah. possible and then go in and ask for something. And by then you'll have like a far higher success rate. Definitely. Well, speaking of success, Naveed, what was your so money moment? You know, I, I can only imagine there were at least a few starting with the success of the virtual summit. But what would you say so far has been your greatest financial accomplishment to date? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to talk about the summit here. Rather, I think the, my last product launch or my first real product launch was my biggest financial win. And honestly, I was a little bit surprised uh, about that because uh, I didn't have the biggest email list when I did that. And I just wished I would have launched my flagship program sooner. So I kind of procrastinated that as well because I was living in exotic locations. So I didn't really have, you know, the structure in place to do that. But then I just went for it anyway. I worked the crazy hours and pulled it off. And with the launch, I only had like 1500 people signed up on launch list and uh, you know with the pre-launch content all this i was delivering and got sixty thousand dollars in sales a little bit more than that and that was like more money than i ever had coming in in my bank account over just it was just a 10-day period or so and some with payment plans but overall i got a lot of cash flow in my business which was really really important as i said in the in the beginning this course generated over six figures last year alone and now looking to scale it up and improve and make things better here Wow. And I think what's interesting about your business model is that you don't have like yet, you don't have, you know, 200,000 people on your email list. You don't even have, am I right? Like 50,000. You you aren't working with these massive numbers, but what you have are followers that absolutely love every single word that you write and everything that you say. So it's not about qual quantity. It is about quality in your world. Yeah, totally. I mean, building an engaged email list where you have a really great relationship now. My list is about maybe 10,000, but looking to, you know, grow that list with leveraging maybe partnerships with other people. You know, that's what I did with the summit and also can take that now to do, let's say, webinars or workshops around creating, promoting and profiting from virtual summits. There's a lot of people that want to hear about that. So I partner up with other people, then they help me spread the word. And that's how I also grow my business. All right. What's your number one money habit, Naveed? What do you do regularly with regards to your finances that helps you build wealth? Yeah. I mean, I think it was, I mean, as I said, I, as I said it before as well, I probably spend more in proportion to what I'm making, uh, you know, when I was 20 years old, like I spend more back then. And now I'm more careful really to have 
you know, a lot of kind of savings in my business and personal account. I recently just got an accountant and a bookkeeper to make sure I'm stay on top of mind there and uh, implemented some other systems in my business. But I, overall I have, I think we are using zero.com and just uh, syncing up my bank account, Stripe, PayPal. So now I have full control over everything that's happening in my business. I just wish I would have had that kind of sooner because, uh, it took me a little bit to get, since I have a location independent business, I wanted someone to really help me that could understand what I was doing. It was really hard to find. I was getting a lot of bad advice there along the way as well. And now I feel really comfortable with the setup I have and recently just got things registered actually in the US. So that's great. Amazing. Good, good, good. Well, so you love traveling. Now you're in Barcelona. Prior to that, you were in Cancun. Do you have a a short lifespan in every city? You like to go you know, globe trotting, or you're pretty much like you're in where you you're where you want to be, Barcelona. Um, that's a great question. I I actually stayed most of last year in Cancun. I liked always every year. I always have a trip or two to the United States because that's where most of my customers are, and also a lot of my friends and peers. I was recently in New York speaking at Selena Sue's event, for example, and met up with some other friends there. So. The, the short answer, I would say he depends on the city. Now in Barcelona, I th- first I thought I'm going to stay maybe three months here to really experience. Now I might even stay six months because it's so comfortable to work here. I have like super fast internet. I like my apartment and, you know, the things are great. And then I might go on somewhere else, you know, just to experience the culture more. You get really get to know the city better if you do that and the country. So your title is lifestyle entrepreneur and a few other people I know have that title. What does that mean to you? How do you define lifestyle entrepreneur? It's really about building a business around, I mean, building a business around your lifestyle instead of the other way around. You know, that's what it's all about. And I'm, I'm, I mean, it doesn't mean that you don't work. I work a lot, especially as I'm growing my business, but it's also, I have the choice to, let's say, if I want to go to New York tomorrow to attend an event, I can do that. I can go watch a football game, a soccer game here in Barcelona. If I want to, I can't take the time to do that because I built that business. And as I grow, I can implement more systems in my business to maybe automate things more. So, you know, as we say, like we all like the passive income, it's not always like that, but you still Mm -hmm. have to do the work to kind of reap the benefits later. And that's the work I'm doing now to get to that point. What are the the top two things you're working on right now, the hardest it's my business. launch. It's my launch of Virtual Summit Mastery. Totally. I mean, it's coming up in April. So I'm working really hard on making, improving a lot of things. It's just like a lot of people, they get people into a course or something like that. And they just stop like updating it or something like that. I, I see it as, you know, I want to, I want to make the best experience for my existing customers as well. And obviously making it great for new customers too, but really serving the people who decided to invest in me when I maybe was newer, maybe was, you know, maybe not as proven as it is now and just making things better. That's the hardest I'm working now with my team and designer. All right, Navid, let's do some so many fill in the blanks. Are you ready? Sure. All right. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say you won a hundred million dollars, or what would that be in Swedish dollars? Um, In Swedish kronor, a lot. I don't even (laughs) want to go there. (laughs) The first thing I would do is. Yeah, I would hire the best people in the world to help me in my business. And if I could do a few things, I would also maybe retire my family with that money. And I'd buy apartments or houses around the world. And the the other thing I would do is I buy a second passport because it's always good to have a second passport. But you can buy a second passport? 
you can do that in some Caribbean countries. It's mm. just you need like two hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars, and you can buy a passport. What does that get you? I mean, what's the it's, point? It's it's just security. Like you never know about. I mean, you don't have to get there. I am not an expert in this topic. I just read a lot of blogs about kind of how you can spread your risks and assets around the world, and I mean, especially some living living location dependent. So I kind of study this a little bit, and you can. I mean, obviously, I'm a Swedish citizen, but I don't live there, and it's also it's also good just to have if something happens ever with your passport. You never know what can happen with your country. You have a backup, kind of. It's it's not like Swedish passport is like I, I just read a study on this. It's the second best passport in the world when it comes to traveling. So I don't need another passport for that. It just is a backup, you know. If I have, you know. Something happened. Or Interesting. Something like that. So dual yeah. citizenship, basically. It, yeah. Kind I mean, of. you can have that. I mean, I would never give my citizenship up in Sweden. That would be very dumb. But I can have a, a, a dual. In some countries, it's not possible. But in with Sweden, you can definitely have a dual citizenship and also being a resident somewhere else. Interesting. All right. Um, okay. One thing that I spend on, that I spend money on, that makes my life easier or better is... Ooh, um, probably would be, I mean, now I recently invested in a personal trainer. So I, I, I know that I need, I, I, I worked out a lot before, but before I started my business, now I just needed to get back to it. So this is definitely going to improve my life and make things easier for me. Since I invest money in something, I usually show up too and like do this three, four times a week, whatever. So that will make my life a lot easier now. You want to get more fit? You seem pretty trim. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good, but you, I want, I want someone to like, tell me like, you got to show up here and it's not, it's, you're not, you're not going to lay in your bed and not get out of there. Like you will go out, go to the gym at six o'clock in the morning if you're paying good money for it. Yeah. And if someone's waiting for you. Yeah. Especially you, you're not going to pass that up. No. So that, keeps- that's why I'm investing it. All right. One thing you splurge on, you spent a lot of money on this, but you wouldn't have it any other way is. I guess travel and lifestyle. I just spent $3,000 for me and my girlfriend to go and see El Clasico here in Barcelona. Not the cheapest to see it, like just a game, like 90 minutes. Oh my gosh, for 90 <laughs> minutes. Yep. Does it come with like an open for, bar or something or food? No, it was just really good tickets. I mean, oh that this is one of the most expensive sporting events you can go to other than, I guess, the World Super Cup Bowl? final and the Champions League for football too, soccer in the US. I think my brother paid a, a big, well, I know he paid like, thousands of dollars to go to the Super Bowl a couple of years yeah. ago. I mean, that, that's, that's, uh, that's also one of the most expensive sporting events for sure. Yeah. If you're in the US. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is. I think it was really to invest in myself and be okay with it because I, I, I saw different things I wanted to buy. Let's say now it's very okay for me to buy an online course for $2,000 and I can find a lot of value from it before I kind of saw it as why should I invest in myself, especially before I even got into this online world. I was like, it's weird to invest in a coach and all this, but now that's so natural to me. I just wished I would have found out when I was like 20 years old. Yes, I know. Um, I think you just ha- that's kind of one of those things, though, that the older you get, the more life experience you have, the more you can start to place value on those things, you know, yeah, and, and you start and to put $2,000 um, in perspective. Exactly. I mean, it was natural for me to do it when it comes to came to sports. I had I play soccer and uh, different uh, and other sports as well. I always had a coach there. So why? 
I just didn't get that really before. Like, how can I, how can I get that to business? I, if I hired someone earlier, I probably would have started something, you know, a few years ahead of time. Sure. All right. You live, you learn. When yeah. I, when I donate, I like to give to blank because. Uh, I think to education, so it would be something like pencils of promise to, you know, build schools. I think, you know, because the kids, they're really the future. So that's what I would do. And last but not least, I'm Navid Moazes. I'm so money because. I believe the more I help and serve other people, especially in, in, my, in my audience and other people I reached out to, the more I will get back, you know, in my own business and life. Be a go-giver. Thank yep. you so much, Navid. We'll be following you and, um, Hey, if you love this interview, share it with your fans because I'd love to have some of your team and some of your devotees come over to So Money. I think they'd, they'd enjoy it. Don't you think? I totally think so. We talked about a lot of things I haven't shared anywhere else. So definitely. Right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Wishing you lots of success, continued success and come back to the States once in a while. Yeah, I will for sure. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Navid, his website is navidmoazes.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Navid Moazes. Navid is giving away some awesome tools for all you listeners. He's got a free seven steps cheat sheet to create a successful virtual summit. So go to virtualsummitmastery.com slash cheat sheet. And to get his epic 50 page free report called my six figure virtual summit success, go to navidmoazes.com slash free report. And if you miss any of that, don't worry. All these links and more are over at somoneypodcast.com where you can get the links, get the transcript, get the audio and so much more. Sign up for the newsletter. That's the best way to keep in touch with all the goings on with this podcast. And if you haven't already, please go over to Instagram and snap a photo of you listening to this show. Use the hashtag somoney2million and then you can enter in to win a $100 Amazon gift card. We're celebrating 2 million downloads for this this show since its inception. And just to celebrate, wanted to spread the love on social media, specifically Instagram, because lots of fun things happen on Instagram. And by the way, unlimited posts here. You can be as creative as you want and post as often as you want. And Friday, tomorrow at noon, I'm going to announce the 10 winners of the $100 Amazon gift card. So giving away $1,000 here in prizes. And thank you in advance. Hope to see you on Instagram. And I hope your day is so money.